Hey, First Church, hope you guys are doing great. Looks like we have a great crowd here on site. I know we have a bunch of people joining us online as well. I just checked, and we have Melissa and her family. They're home today, sick with the flu. Sorry about that, but glad you're joining us for worship. Ken, he's in Owasso joining us as well. He said he was here in first service and wanted to come back and worship again with us in second service. So we're glad you're online. And then Rick's in Tulsa, as well as a whole bunch of others. So if you are here on site, would you put your hands together? Welcome in our online family. Let them know we're glad that they're joining us today. And if you're new, my name's Chad. Welcome. So glad you're here as today we wrap up our series, Life's Too Short. And as we get started, I want to share with you a really troubling conversation I had just the other day with my five-year-old daughter. I was spending some time with her, and we were talking, and she started talking about this boy named Wyatt. And I'm like, who's Wyatt? I haven't heard this name before. And she just kept talking about him over and over again. And Wyatt's so funny, and Wyatt does this, and Wyatt does that, and I like to hang out with Wyatt. And I'm like, who's this Wyatt punk anyway? I wanna find out who he is. And so I asked her, I was like, who's Wyatt? And she looked at me and very confidently said, he's my boyfriend. And I was like, oh no, he isn't. Uh, No, he's not. I don't think so. You are five years old. You don't get to have a boyfriend. And also I want to figure out who this little kid is. And so I started to ask her, I was like, who is Wyatt? Like, does he go to church? Does he come from a good family? Is he always in trouble? Does he have a a 401k? You know, what's going on here? Who is this kid? I want to do a whole background check on him. And she just stopped talking. When she knew that I was that interested, like she stopped talking about him altogether. So I went to her mother and I was just like, hey, Allison, who's this Wyatt boy that Addie's talking about? And Allison started to laugh and she said, It's her imaginary boyfriend. He's off of a movie that she likes. He's not real, and so she pretends that he's around. And so I just wanna let you guys know something today. I have grown to like Wyatt. I like Wyatt a whole lot. Like, we've made peace, he's good, and my daughter can date him as long as she wants to. I am good with Wyatt from here on out, okay? (laughs) Now, when little kids pretend, it's cute, and it's funny and even comical at times. But when adults pretend, not so much. Because adults tend to take pretending to a whole new level, to an unhealthy level. When adults pretend, it's not using childlike creativity to imagine things, but it's more projecting an image that they want others to see an image that's often false, an image that's often fake. And pretending, lying about who you really are, tricking people into thinking that you're someone else, always leads to disaster. And yet we live in a culture, we live in a world where it's never been easier to fake appearances, to project an image that isn't true. With things like social media and apps and filters on our phones, we have become masters at image management. And we're not the only ones. Companies do this all the time. Businesses do this all the time in order to sell us their products. I came across this website, this blog the other day that said, what if companies were honest when it comes to their slogans? 
And here are some examples that it listed. Like for instance, Netflix, spend more time searching than actually watching. Anybody been there before? Anybody ever fallen asleep searching for something to watch and you never actually watch something? Yeah, I've been there too. How about this one right here? WebMD, convince yourself that you have a terminal illness. I have done that. I've had symptoms and I've gone on WebMD and I think I'm dying. I mean, after I read the stuff that's on there. In fact, I had a doctor tell me a few years ago, you need to get off of WebMD. And so I try to as much as I can. How about this example? Chick-fil-A, you always crave it on Sundays. Isn't that true? I mean, some of you guys, just by seeing that logo, you're hungry right now, you know? I want Chick-fil-A, but it's Sunday. We can't get it, so that's rough. How about this example? Wikipedia, you're welcome college students. I mean, how many college students have passed papers because of Wikipedia? We get that. I like this example too. Lays, who said he can't charge for air? I tell you what, I get frustrated every time I open up a bag of chips because it's half air and the cost keeps going up. They're charging more for air all the time. It's frustrating, you know? But this right here is one of my favorites, Jif peanut butter. Moms like you choose the peanut butter that's on sale. That's my family right there. You know, the slogan is moms like you choose Jif. No, we choose the one on sale. So if companies were honest, if businesses were honest, maybe that's what their slogans would say. But it's not just companies that are experts in image management. So are we, you and me. And we like to project an image at times that just isn't true. So let me ask you, is there ever a conflict between who you really are in the image that you project? Is there ever a conflict, some tension between who you really are and how you want other people to see you? Let me put it this way. Does the public you match the private you? Because God wants it to, but if we're being honest, if we're being transparent, oftentimes it doesn't. We live in a culture today where it's easy to fake appearances. And in such a culture where it's hard to know what's true anymore, the Bible tells us this. It says, put away falsehood, put out, get rid of falsehood. Don't use deception, don't use lies, trickery. Don't try to cover up things in order to project an image that isn't true. Put away all falsehood. And the reason why the Bible tells us this is because of this. Jesus tells us the why in Luke chapter 16. He says, you make yourselves look good in front of people. Anybody ever been there before? You make yourselves look good in front of people, but God knows what is really in your hearts. What people think is important is worth nothing to God. Jesus says, don't fake appearances because God knows who you really are. God knows your heart. God knows who you are on the inside. God knows both the public you and the private you. He knows who you really are. And God isn't impressed with who you're pretending to be. And not only is he not impressed with who you're pretending to be, God's not able to bless the person that you're pretending to be. Because as he looks at your life and how you're living right now, he says, what you're living for, the reason why you're pretending, the reason why you're projecting a false image, the reason why you're lying, the reason why you're covering up your real identity is because you're trying to achieve something that you can only receive from God. 
You're trying to get something that is worthless in God's sight. Only, only when we have him and we live in a healthy relationship with him will we find what we are really looking for. And God knows that pretending is exhausting because we're chasing something that we're never gonna have. I mean, when we pretend to get ahead, what we're trying to get is always a moving target. And it's exhausting. It's kind of like a hamster on a wheel. You know, you're running and you're running and you're running and you're using up all this energy, but you're not getting anywhere. And you just keep running and keep running until you wipe out. And then when you wipe out, you're done, right? And that's an image more times than we would like to admit of our lives. We're just running and running, chasing after something that we're never going to have. But pretending isn't just exhausting, it's also miserable. The times in my life when I've been the most miserable is when I'm trying to pretend to be somebody I'm not. When I'm trying to hide the things that I've done in my life and pretend like they don't exist. When I'm trying to cover up things, that's when I've been the most miserable. When I'm trying to prove myself to others by projecting some false image, that's when I've been the most miserable. Because here's the thing, even if you get what you want by pretending, it still isn't what you need, so you're, you still aren't satisfied. But it's not just that pretending is miserable. Pretending is also so unnecessary. Because God's like, I know what you're looking for. I know you want to feel valued. You want to feel loved. You want to feel like you have purpose. You want to know that you have purpose. I know what you're looking for. You don't want to feel empty on the inside, but you want to feel like your life matters. And here's the thing, it does, but you're never going to fully understand and comprehend that trying to achieve an identity that I don't want for you. The only way that you're going to have that is by receiving that identity from me. And God is looking at us and he's saying, Pretending is just so unnecessary. See, the Bible warns us that until we let go, until we let go of who we think we should be, we'll never become who God created us to be. Let me put it this way. Until God is enough, nothing will ever be enough. You can get all of these other things from this world that the world offers us, but until God is your enough, nothing from this world will ever be enough. And today we're gonna to look at a guy in the Old Testament who had to learn that the hard way. His name is Jacob. And we've been in this series, Life's Too Short, which we're wrapping up today. And we've been looking at different examples in the Bible of people who chose not to waste their time, but to make the most of their time. Because even though our lives are short, the Bible tells us our lives are still significant. That's why we find verses like this one when Paul writes, so be careful how you act. These are difficult days. Don't be fools, be wise. Make the most of every opportunity you have. The Bible tells us to make the most of our days, make the most of our time, make the most of every opportunity we have because God has big plans for us. And even though our lives are short, they're not insignificant. So we're looking at examples of people who realized 
that their lives were significant, that God did have a greater purpose for them. But some people in the Bible learned that the hard way. Some people ended up learning that after they wasted a large chunk of their lives. And that's Jacob. Jacob wasted a large part of his life chasing after an identity that God never wanted him to have. Jacob spent a large chunk of his life pretending. And what we're gonna learn from his example is this. Life's too short to fake it. Life's too short to fake like you're living but never really live, never live the life that God intended you to live. And so we first meet Jacob at the time of his birth. He was born to a guy named Isaac. Now, Isaac was the son of Abraham, if you want to know some biblical context here. And Isaac was married to a woman named Rebekah. And when Isaac and Rebekah have their first child, they find out that she's pregnant with twins, twin boys, Jacob being one of them and Esau being the other. Esau is born first and Jacob is born second within a matter of minutes probably. And so Esau gets the status of being the firstborn. He gets the birthright. And in this day and age, that was a big deal because the firstborn got the largest portion of the inheritance. And not just, you know, a little bit bigger than everybody else. He got the largest portion of the inheritance. He would have been wealthy for the rest of his life if he came from a wealthy home, which Esau and Jacob did. And so Esau is going to get all this inheritance, all this money, all this land, livestock, everything that comes along with it. He is going to be in charge of the family estate. And what we find out is Jacob is not really happy about it. And so this is when we're first introduced to these two boys. This is the story of their birth. And in Genesis chapter 25, it says this. When the time came for her, Rebecca, to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. The first to come out was red. And his whole body, this is Esau, so he's red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment. So he looked like this, basically. He, I, don't know, I don't know what type of mutant baby Esau was, but apparently he was red and hairy all over, okay? So this is what he looked like. And they named him Esau. And after this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel. So he was named Jacob. See, the name Jacob means one who grasps another's heel. And from the very beginning, we get this illustration, this symbolic meaning here that Jacob's life is going to be all about wanting to be someone he's not. Wanting a life that isn't his, wanting what his brother has. He's going to be grasping, trying to grab a life that wasn't his, pretending to be someone else. And this gets even worse as these boys grow up and they get older because Jacob, as he gets older, starts to realize exactly what he's missing by not being the firstborn. He missed out on this large inheritance by probably a matter of minutes and he just doesn't think that's fair and he thinks he's smarter than his older brother Esau and so he starts to plan out a way to try to steal his brother's life, steal the birthright from him. And basically, this happens one day as Esau comes in from the fields. And you see, Esau comes in from the fields and he's been hunting game and he's tired and he's famished and he's worn out. 
And as he comes in, he looks at Jacob, who's been fixing some food. You see, Esau was this like manly man, big old strong dude, you know, whatever. And Jacob's more of a mama's boy. And so uh, he's at home with his mom, and he's been fixing food. And Esau shows up, and he smells that stew that his younger brother's been fixing. And he is famished. And he says, give me some of that stew. And Jacob looks at his brother and says, okay, if you give me your birthright. And Esau is a big enough meathead that he gives his younger brother his brother. He's like, okay, what good is my birthright if I'm starving? And he agrees to give his younger brother his birthright, which is insane. I mean, if I was Esau and I was this big, strong, hairy, manly, red dude, you know, I mean, I think I would say, I'm gonna beat you up and take the stew. You know, that's what I would have done. But Esau doesn't think it all the way through, I don't think. And so he trades his birthright for a bowl of stew. Now, we don't have time to really get into all this. But just remember this, comparison, comparison incites competition. And when you start to compete with someone else, it's a losing battle. Because you get trapped in the battle of er. If only I were prettier. If only I were richer, smarter, taller, thinner, more popular. That doesn't exactly work, but still, you get the point. If only I was er better, then I would be happier. The problem is, there's always someone who's more er than you. And that's why it's a losing battle. It's a game that you are never going to win. And so in this moment, Jacob tries to deceive his brother and he wins. Now, side note, real fast before I move on again, like I said, we don't have a whole lot of time to camp out here. But side note, be careful who you listen to when you're vulnerable. Because Esau comes in from the fields and he thinks that he can trust his brother and he can't. Because his brother doesn't have his best interest at heart. And so Esau, in the midst of his desperation, I mean, he's famished in this moment. He's hungry. In the midst of his hunger, in the midst of his desperation, he listens to his brother when he shouldn't have. Be careful who you listen to when you're vulnerable. Because when you're vulnerable, you will listen to the wrong voice if you're not careful. And the wrong voice will take you down a road that you never wanted to go down. Students, adults, when you're vulnerable... Be careful who you're listening to. That's why I think it's so important that we surround ourselves with the right voices in life. That's why we believe here at First Church in being part of a small group or a class or a uh, smaller group of Christian friends who will help hold you accountable because you need godly voices surrounding you to remind you that until God is enough, nothing will ever be enough. You need voices to remind you of that very truth because the world's not gonna tell you that. The world's gonna tell you to keep chasing after things that don't ultimately matter, things that actually will destroy your life. 
So that's why we believe in small groups and classes and all that kind of stuff so that you can have these godly friends who surround you. And if you're not part of a group, we challenge you to be part of a group. In fact, next Sunday, remember what I said, we're wrapping up the series today, but next Sunday, we're going to start a new sermon series called Base Camp. And it's a checkpoint for your spiritual journey. In this series, it's gonna be really cool. We're gonna look at some foundational, basic beliefs of Christianity, of our faith, that the rest of our faith is built upon. And I'm excited to dive deep into these foundational truths because we're living in a day and age where people are becoming more and more biblically illiterate and they're moving away from God's word. So we're gonna do a review basically as some of these foundational truths that the rest of our faith is built upon. And we are challenging all of our groups to discuss these topics on a deeper level so that when our groups meet, they're gonna be taking what we've been talking about on Sunday morning and they're gonna be diving deeper into it because we wanna be a church that grows together in a healthy way, that we're all on the same page, that we're all building on the same foundation. And so I challenge you to come back next week. It's gonna be an exciting series, but also if you're not part of a group, be part of a group as we look at these foundational truths of our faith. We need strong godly voices around us because if we don't have them, then we will be led astray. Esau is led astray and Jacob gets what he wants, but even though Jacob gets what he wants, the birthright, the inheritance, he gets all the money, he still isn't happy. You know why? Because he still doesn't have the approval, the blessing of his father. You see, his father favored Esau and his mom favored Jacob. And he wanted his dad's approval because even though he had stole his brother's birthright, his dad was still going to bless Esau with the family legacy. And in this day and age, you would bless a child with your family's legacy to carry on as the leader of your family. And so even though Jacob has all the money and the land, Esau is going to get the family legacy, the family blessing. And so Jacob thinks, well, I need that too because I'm still not happy. I still don't have my father's blessing. I need that too. And so when Isaac, their dad, is old and he's weak and he's frail and he's losing his sight, he's blind, he calls in his son Esau because he knows his days are numbered. And he says, Esau, go out and kill me something to eat and we're gonna have a meal together. And as we eat together, I'm going to pass on to you, bestow upon you the family blessing. And so Esau obeys his father. He goes out to go hunt some food. And Rebecca, their mom, hears that this is going on. And so Rebecca, again, she favors Jacob, the younger son. And Rebecca goes to Jacob and says, hey, Jacob, your dad is getting ready to give Esau the blessing. Why don't you jump in there and get it for yourself. And Jacob's like, how am I gonna do that? And so he and his mom come up with this plan. And so what Jacob does is he puts on his brother's clothes so that he smells like his brother. And then he puts goat skin on his arms so that if his dad touched his arms, he would feel Esau's hair, basically. Remember, he's red and hairy. And then he goes in and he pretends to be Esau carrying a meal with him, a wild game. And what's interesting is, I think that Isaac might be onto this a little bit, but Jacob just continues to lie. Look at what happens. Isaac says, who is it? And Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, he lies. I am Esau, your firstborn. 
I have done as you told me. Please sit up and eat some of my game so that you may give me your blessing. He's pretending to be someone else. I mean, he is literally wearing a disguise, pretending to be someone else because he thinks if he can get what belonged to someone else, his brother, then he'll be happy. But you see, the affirmation of others will never satisfy our deepest desire. And so Isaac, their dad, is still a little bit suspicious. And so Isaac says, how did you find it, the food, so quickly? I just sent you out a little while ago. How'd you find it so quickly, my son, and it's fixed and ready to go? And I want you to notice how Jacob responds. The Lord your God gave me success. Notice a couple things here. The Lord your God, not my God or our God. The Lord your God. See, Jacob knew God at a distance. God was the God of his father and his grandfather and Jacob knew God secondhand. Your God, your Lord gave me success. And notice, he lies about God to get what he wants. See, this is how pretending works. It starts out small, little lies here and there, but eventually you get to the point that you are lying about what God has said or hasn't said in order to get what you want. And let me ask you, have you ever worn a religious mask in order to get what you want? Have you ever pretended to be more faithful than what you know you really are in order to get something out of it? You ever use religion to get what you want? That's what Jacob is doing in this moment. That's how low he has sunk in this moment in order to get what he wants. But the Bible teaches us we won't get away with wearing a religious mask forever. In fact, it says this in Galatians, do not be deceived, God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Eventually the truth comes out. And in this situation, eventually Esau comes home. And what are you gonna do, Jacob, when Esau comes home? Because eventually Esau's gonna come home. Guys, let me just let you know something. You can lie for a while, but Esau always comes home. And when Esau comes home and he finds out what Jacob did, he is ticked, not just ticked. Look what the Bible says. Esau says, I will kill my brother Jacob. And he's not using symbolic imagery here, okay? <laughs> He's gonna murder his brother. He's gonna kill his brother because he's so mad. So you know what has to happen? Jacob flees. He runs. He runs to get away from his brother because he knows his brother is serious. And for the next 21 years, Jacob is going to live on the run, going to live in hiding. And this just reminds me of this truth. It's possible to get what you want and then not want what you got. Because what good is it to get the family blessing if you can't even live with your family anymore? And that's where Jacob is. So for the next 21 years, he hides out from Esau and he goes to an area of land where a distant relative lived and he stays with him and he works for him. And Jacob ends up marrying, uh, getting married there. Actually, he gets married twice to two of this guy's daughters. I know it's weird, but anyway, he marries two of this guy's daughters. He has a bunch of kids and all that. And Jacob becomes wealthy. He becomes rich and he has a lot of status here, but he's been deceiving his relative that he's living with. 
And so his relative finds out, this is a long story, but to make it short, his relative ends up saying, don't you ever come back to my home again. Don't come back anymore, leave. So Jacob is kicked out and he's on the road now with his wives and all of his kids and now he's got servants and all these possessions. He puts together a caravan and he doesn't know what to do and as he's leaving the place that he's just been kicked out of, a servant comes to him and says, Esau, your brother, is already on his way to meet you with an army of 400 men. Dun, dun, dun. I mean, the last time that Jacob saw Esau, Esau was ready to kill him. And now Esau finds out where Jacob is and what does the Bible say? He's coming for you. And he's got 400 men with him. It's not good news for Jacob. And Jacob panics. You know what Jacob does? He divides up his family and his servants and he puts one in one spot, another in another spot, and then he goes off by himself and he waits to see which group Esau will attack first and whichever one he attacks first, Jacob is going to run to the other one and they're going to escape. That's his plan in this moment. Not a real noble guy here, is he? you know? Not a man of courage and bravery. But while Jacob is all alone, Jacob probably hasn't spent a whole lot of time alone. And while Jacob is all alone, God appears to him. And God appears to Jacob in the form of a man. And some physical manifestation of God. We're not exactly sure how all this worked out, but Jacob doesn't even realize that the man who appears to him is God at first. And Jacob thinks that he's an intruder, we assume. And so Jacob and this man, who's again, this special manifestation of God, Jacob and this man, they wrestle, they fight all night long. Back and forth. And God lets Jacob win. Now, why would God allow for Jacob to overpower him? Why would God in this wrestling match allow for Jacob to overpower him? I think it's because he wants to teach him something. He wants to wake Jacob up. And so they wrestle back and forth. And right when Jacob thinks that he's won, right when Jacob is thinking pretty high of himself, right when Jacob thinks he is victorious and he's strong and he's something. This is what the Bible says. It says he, this manifestation of God, this man that Jacob is wrestling with, he touched Jacob's hip. In fact, the Hebrew word just means that he tapped it, just barely tapped it. He tapped Jacob's hip and wrenched it out of its socket. In other words, they've been wrestling all night. And now all this guy has to do is just barely touch, barely tap Jacob's hip and it's wrenched out of its socket. In that moment, Jacob realizes this isn't an ordinary man. He's not exactly sure who it is still, but he realizes this is either a messenger from God, an angel from God, maybe it's God himself, but this is not an ordinary man. And so what Jacob does is he grabs on to this man. He grasps him and he refuses to let go of this man. Why? Because he knows there is no fooling God. He's fooled everybody else. 
He's tricked everybody else. He's lied to everybody else. But God knows who he really is. There is no fooling God. And all of his life, Jacob has been trying to deceive his way to success. He's been trying to trick people in order to get ahead. He's been covering up who he really is in order to promote himself. And all of his life, he's been deceiving people and tricking people. And it hasn't worked. And now in this moment of desperation where he feels like some of his family is going to be killed, maybe even he himself is going to be killed. In this moment of desperation, he has nowhere else to turn. And so he finally reaches out for God and he refuses to let go. Because he knows God is the only one who can help him now. And as he is grasping onto God, the text says this, the man, the man that Jacob was wrestling with, God, asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Now that may seem like an insignificant detail to you. And why does God ask him his name? But I think it's extremely important. You know why? The last time in scripture that Jacob was asked to identify himself, do you remember what he said? It happened when he came in to trick his blind, dying father. And remember, his father said, who is it? And Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. He lied. He pretended to be someone he wasn't. And that's been the story of Jacob's life. Pretending to be someone he wasn't. Someone who God never wanted him to be. Playing a part, wearing disguises, promoting himself at the cost of hurting others. That's been Jacob's life. And now in this moment when he's been wrestling with God and he realizes that God has manifest himself in a special way, God asks him, what is your name? And Jacob realizes there's no more lying, no more hiding, no more deception. And he finally owns who he is. And he says, I am Jacob. And in that moment, as he finally gets real with God, look at what God does. God says, your name will no longer be Jacob. But Israel, because you have struggled with God and with men and have overcome. See, the name Israel has a double meaning. It means one who struggles or wrestles with God, which is what Jacob had been doing. But it also has a secondary meaning, which means triumphant with God. And so God says, your name is going to be Israel now because you have wrestled with me but I am going to make you triumphant because now you are turning to me. And here's what happens. Jacob not only reconciles with God, he reconciles with his brother as well. He makes peace with his brother Esau. And we learn in this moment that it's only, it's only when we stop pretending that God will give us a new beginning. And the same is true for you and me. When we stop the charade, when we stop hiding, when we stop pretending, when we stop faking it, and we finally just say, God, I want to be who you created me to be, that's when God gives us a new beginning. And what's cool is 
Jacob has 12 sons. These 12 sons will end up being the patriarchs of the nation of Israel, named after Israel, Jacob. And those 12 sons are the 12 tribes of Israel that make up the nation, which will bring about the Messiah. And remember, one of those sons' names was Judah. And who came from the line of Judah? Jesus. God's son, the Messiah, the long-awaited savior of the world will eventually come through the family of Jacob the deceiver turned Israel triumphant with God. That's what God does when we turn our lives over to him. You see, satisfied people don't chase after satisfaction. They chase after God and satisfaction finds them. And if you wanna live a satisfied life, don't chase after satisfaction. Reach out to God and satisfaction will find you. What we often think we want is not really what we need. I've mentioned several times before that I love coaching my kids' soccer teams, and I know I've mentioned that probably way too often, but I do love coaching them. And here's a picture, the last picture that I took with Alex's team, my son's team from this past season. And this is after we played in a tournament in Broken Arrow. And this was a real special team. We won our league. We went undefeated in our league. And then we played in one tournament and Sky took and we won that tournament, got a gold medal. And then we went to this tournament and it was a bigger tournament, more heavy competition. And we made it all the way to the championship game and we lost in the championship game, one to nothing, close match. And we went home with silver, with a silver medal. And I remember after the game was done, my kids were really bummed because we hadn't lost a game all season. That was our first loss. And so... They were all bummed and crying and upset. The other team is cheering and excited. And I turned to my guys and I was like, hey guys, it's okay. We're gonna have a medal ceremony and only two teams in the entire tournament get medals. First and second, we're still gonna get a medal. Let's go get our medals. And they started to say, we don't want it. They can keep it. We don't want the silver medal. We don't want it. They were upset. And so I called all the parents together and got all of the boys together real close. And I said, guys, I'm gonna let you know something. I love this team. And I don't love this team because we went undefeated in our league or because we got a gold medal at the last tournament we were in or because we play silver today. I don't love this team because of how you performed in this past game or how you performed in this tournament. I don't love this team because of the goals you scored. I don't love this team because of the goals that you defended. You know why I love this team? Because I love you guys. And you guys are special to me. And I would rather get a silver medal with you guys, then get gold with another team because you're my team, you're my family. And no matter what happens, I love you guys. And I started to cry and get emotional. My players hadn't seen that side of me before. You guys are used to it, but they hadn't seen that side of me. And so they cried even more and the parents were crying. It was a real emotional moment, but then we went and we got our medals and we put them on. You can see all the, kids wearing the medals in that picture. And afterwards, like a day or two later, I got a message from one of the moms on the team. And she said that when they got in the car, her son said, you know, at first I was 
mad at God that we didn't win. Because I prayed for us to win. That's what her son said. And then he said, but you know what? I think maybe we didn't win so that Coach Chad could tell us how much he loved us because I think we needed to hear that more. Now, I don't know if God had us win or lose a tournament. I don't have a clue. I'm not sure if God is that interested in, you know, U10 soccer, but he's interested in everything. I know, but I do think it's a great example of what we want is not always what we need. And in this life, you can get all the medals and trophies and awards and achievements that this world has to offer. But until God is enough, nothing else will ever be enough. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for today and for this moment we've had to open up your word. And may we be those who stop pretending, but who receive our identity from you. Because when you are our identity, we will always have enough. In Jesus' name, amen.